show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about Amazon's new insulin coupons. What does this latest battle in the war for drug pricing signal about Amazon's healthcare roadmap? And how can we come together to increase the consumer-minded innovation that happens in other steps of the consumer journey? I'll talk about that. Then we're pleased to welcome Dr. Justin Norden, adjunct professor at Stanford Medicine and a partner at GSR Ventures. Dr. Norden recently put out the first ever collaborative state of healthcare generative AI report, and he helps us understand what's possible from this emerging tech class to help consumers in their health journeys. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Are we couponing our way to a healthier America? Forbes reports that Amazon Pharmacy is rolling out coupons that automatically reduce customer costs for insulin to as low as $35 a month on more than a dozen diabetes care brands. In August 2022, President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law, which capped insulin costs for Medicare beneficiaries at $35 a month. But many other Americans with diabetes still struggle to pay for their insulin. Meanwhile, there are still pharmacies that charge much more than $35, with costs and prices confusing and varying wildly. I like how Zane put it. He said Amazon continues to apply its supply chain prowess and make online retail experiences fast, simple, and personal. This is apparently the next battle in the war of insulin prices. In July 2022, United Health Group eliminated out-of-pocket costs for insulin in standard fully insured group plans. Then less than a month later, their Optum arm announced a partnership with Sanofi to make insulin available to people with diabetes who don't have insurance. They made a 30-day supply available for $35. At the time, I referred to these moves as quiet game changers. My personal research revealed that Mark Cuban's company didn't offer for any of those meds, and while Amazon Pharmacy did, their prices for the same doses ranged from $193 to $570. So this is a big change for Amazon, yet it's no surprise that diabetes care is a focus area for them. Diabetes care has long been a starting point, both medically and economically. More than 7 million Americans require insulin daily. So we're not just focused on people with commercial insurance who are actively engaged in their health, we're also talking about millions who are uninsured or underinsured and are hesitant to seek care. Now that Amazon has stepped up its coupon game, it reveals yet another signal that they are not abandoning healthcare. They also haven't signaled any interest in owning hospitals, for that matter. Instead, they continue to plug into the ethos of consumers' expectations and plug away at edge cases. And maybe that's where they see more short-term wins. Pharmacy, generic medications, telehealth, primary care... 
all packaged up as convenient and accessible. Remember, every part of the consumer experience has room to improve. Reducing insulin costs can have profound impacts on our society's health and well-being. My challenge to you is that as innovative as Amazon appears to be, we don't have to wait for them to dictate the agenda for consumer health. We can innovate and remove friction in practically every step of the consumer health journey if we make it a priority. Let's come together as a community and prioritize consumer-minded innovation so the next headline can come from you. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Alright everyone, let's get into the flow. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Justin Norden. Dr. Norden is a partner at GSR Ventures and an adjunct professor at Stanford Madison. Dr. Norden, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Jared, thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, what would you like our listeners to know about you personally and or professionally? Absolutely. So I've had a bit of an atypical career path, starting out as going to be a physician, becoming a computer scientist, moving into the startup world, and then finally moving into venture. I like to say that for a long time, I've been focused on this, you know, intersection between technology and medicine. Although when growing up, I just had had no idea how it was going to get there. I think what's really exciting is right now, and I'm so fortunate to be able to teach at Stanford in digital health, and then more recently in generative AI and medicine. And we really are a true inflection point of what the technology is capable of. And it's really exciting to think about how we get this incredible technology into our intricate and complicated and safety-first healthcare system. You know, it sounds like you had a line of sight to what's happening, but I wonder if like eight to 10 years ago, if any of us knew that there would be courses on generative AI in medicine being taught. You know, it's just a tribute to how quickly things are happening. Things are certainly changing fast. And uh, as, as a brief anecdote, you know, even things within AI and technology, people really haven't seen this pace of change. One of the fun things we did in class was Initially, it was supposed to be a 15-person research seminar when we you know, designed the course a little bit over a year ago. As we got closer and closer, you know, ChatGPT launched, you know, catching the world by storm. You know, we ballooned to getting you know, more than 70 people trying to bang down the doors, trying to get in, which is you know, a nice problem to have. So hard to have a discussion with that group. So one of the things we did was just do a quick recap weekly. What happened this week in generative AI and medicine. And each week there, there were no disappointments. Just the pace of innovation and things changing are happening so fast. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that in a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm intrigued also by the fact that you mentioned you have had an atypical career path. Is there a piece of career advice that has stuck with you along the way and why? There's one piece of advice that I received you know, early on in my career, especially I was going down the route of pretty traditional academic medicine. And I, th- I say it all the time to other people in healthcare, but you need to talk to people outside of your main industry. Talk to more people, understand what they're doing, understand how they see the world, how they attack problems. And especially for people in healthcare, it's just so important to see there are other ways to do things. There are other ways that people are thinking about technology, that people think about change, that people think about problem solving. And that single piece of advice has just served me so well, especially as I've navigated you know, a lot of different areas. That's great. And I imagine that it's helpful to be adaptable along the way. Well, I'm really excited to dive into a couple of things with you here today. Maybe we can start by level setting about AI and healthcare. There is so much hype right now. But where do you see the greatest opportunities? And is it all clinical or are there non-clinical applications that are exciting you as well? So, you know, People have been talking about AI in healthcare for, you know, for more than a decade. 
you know, people have been dreaming of clinical decision support tools, you know, chatbots to automatically make diagnoses, radiology, you name it. And for the longest time, they weren't very good. You know, we, we would study these th- academically. We'd study, you know, different versions of AI on medical exam questions. And they've been terrible. For years, they've been really no better than chance, even as, you know, these new AI technologies have come out. What has fundamentally changed is over the past 12, 24 months, these tools have gotten so much better. You know, we've really seen a phase shift. What went from toy examples and things that were fun to publish papers on all of a sudden jumped to, in many cases, comparable performance to physicians or other clinicians, and in some cases, superior performance. The other change that has happened is while there's been AI and, you know, the most advanced AI from a regulatory perspective has really been in imaging and and radiology. You know, now there's, you know, hundreds of FDA approved AI algorithms. One thing that's changed is these used to be point solutions on a single narrowly defined problem where you can get a specific result. And now with these new tools, they're really generalizable. We're starting to see them apply on so many different conditions and so many different ways And that is a fundamental shift from where things were before. In terms of what happens next, this is, I think, the question on on everyone's mind. You know, are we going to immediately replace clinicians, these AI chatbots or or other tools? And in my mind, the answer is very clearly no. And clinical decision making, while it's exciting and grabs the headlines, this is really going to be the last change in my mind compared to the other changes that are going to happen first in healthcare. And that's around the administrative side of healthcare, the, the back office tools, these are going to change far faster in healthcare because there's less risk. There's less risk, there's less regulation, and there's still huge problems to solve. So where we're seeing things now, you know, every week we see a new announcement, a new company, things like note-taking, one of the banes of clinicians for years and years, and it's possible to solve now and really change how people are doing this, something that people have been working on for decades, and now we have the tools to do it. And now a number of companies, even dozens of companies, are claiming that they have the solutions today. And I've seen a number of them, and and they really do work. So it's on the administrative side is where we're going to see things first, but but we can go into more detail soon. That's great. So you recently put out the first collaborative report on the state of healthcare generative AI. Can you tell us about the report, and then we'll dive into some of the key findings? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things about the report and, and what's happening is I sometimes forget when we're you know stuck here in Silicon Valley, you know, talking on Stanford campus, people are so excited to see where the technology is. But as I started to have more conversations with people in healthcare, I realized there's a big disconnect. There's a big disconnect between what the technology is, how it works, what are the opportunities to go after first. And so that's why we said, hey, let's just try to organize our own thoughts and and maybe others will find it interesting too. And we're we're just th- thrilled by the response. To give a little bit of context, there have been so many AI and healthcare companies, other digital health companies. And we wanted to just put all of the AI companies on a map and talk about the new opportunities in generative AI. One of the questions we would get is, well, Justin, how do you decide you know, what's an AI company and a generative AI company? The truth is, it is very hard to distinguish that these days. Unless they're opening up their code base, talking to me about which models they're using, how and where, and then there's some threshold where we could talk about to say, if you have 51%, then you're a generative AI company or, or not. We, we couldn't make that distinction. But what's more important is realizing that 
AI companies are all shifting to using these tools to varying degrees. And it's not that we need generative AI methods for every problem, but what's happening is the landscape is shifting. You know, now as an investor, when I look at companies, every company says they're a generative AI company. That's where the hype is. That's where the money's going. And for a good reason, because these, many of these tools are better and are changing how we're delivering care. And so that's the start for all of these companies are now shifting uh, to use these generative AI tools. One of the things we highlighted, though, in the report is, you know, how long have companies been raising money, been focused on AI problems? And we chose a few different sectors to think about. You know, one, companies focus on life sciences and tools, tools to that regard, which tend to be the companies, the AI companies that are actually started first. We had another category that was talking about patient-facing companies. Companies really trying to take either a consumer lens at some point of what they're doing and are delivering care in that way. Clinician-facing companies, companies that were focused on, okay, how can we make the practice of our providers better? How can we change what it looks like from that regard? Administrative-facing companies, and then analytics companies. So that's how we organize the report for anyone who, who wants to take a look. And the reason we did that is that you're targeting different people. You're targeting different people in those sales, you know, and they all have different priorities. Maybe the key thing that we called out was just how are we organizing our own heads, all of these different opportunities, and where we want to focus as investors, but then also you know, where health system leaders should focus in terms of you know, which technologies do they think they should adopt first. We did a two-by-two two talking about you know, from technologically complex to technologically simple, given these new tools. And companies that were, you know, real visionary in terms of very low adoption to companies that have signs of early adoption. And the reason we did this is you can start to say there are certain problems that people are focused on, that people really have the technology that's capable of solving today. And again, that's around, you know, note taking, coding, prior authorization, care navigation. And we're going to start to see a lot more around analyzing data. And so this is one of the key things just to start especially if you're new to these tools, just to try to get a sense of, okay, how hard are these problems that people are trying to solve and how early might I expect this to be ready from a business sense? What I found interesting from the report was how widespread it was, You know how much it covered. So you analyzed 145 startups and they've collectively earned more than $20 billion in funding and have 47,000 employees. Yes, way, way, way too many. <laughs> That's not a small sample. What were some of the other key findings that stood out to you? Yes, and I appreciate the note and glad it was helpful. I think a few other key findings about what's changed is, you know, going through this and putting all the startups on on the map, you know, one of the keys about what's changed is, again, coming back to the technology, right? You mentioned how much money has been raised already in AI. And one of the things that's come up with this new technology that's become available in the past 12 to 24 months is the architectures for how these companies are actually solving the solutions are changing, right? We've undergone kind of a paradigm shift of how we're going to organize the data and how we're actually able to solve those problems. When previously, these AI companies would spend tens of millions of dollars, if not more, to build a specific model, wrangle you know, five, ten healthcare systems to give them their data, to train that model, to, you know, as you mentioned before, hope to solve a solution, now we have these pre-trained models that with almost no additional data and you know, maybe some special prompting or context to give that model about what decision to make, it's almost able to solve the solution right away. And that's not for every problem, but that's for a lot of problems now in the healthcare AI space. And so the technology barrier 
has come down significantly. So what does that mean? Now that the technology barrier to do these tasks that used to take tens of millions of dollars, huge engineering teams, can now be built even with a one or two person startup. And so what we're seeing is a flood of companies start running after these relatively straightforward to build, given the new tools, problems. And what used to be both a technology barrier and a trust barrier to make a sale in healthcare has now really shifted to being a trust and relationship sale. You know, now with kind of a flood of all these new vendors coming in, it's how are startups and teams able to show what they're doing works, are able to build the relationships and are able to you know, build those partners who are willing to kind of take a chance and go to market. That's where the problem has shifted. You know, it used to be these two barriers and now it's really focused on how do you build trust and sell and partner with these health systems. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, I'm fascinated by the trust barrier that you mentioned, and I'm curious how that applies with consumers. When we talk about consumer trust and whether that could hold the industry back, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how does consumer trust come into play here? Trust is everything in healthcare. And it's, it's funny, we're coming back to this issue now with talking about AI and generative AI. But trust and consumer trust has been paramount for healthcare delivery for, for decades, if not centuries. Right, you know, and choosing the provider you want to work with, you know, so that you can build a therapeutic relationship. You know, if you get the right advice or the right medicine, that that people will actually take it. And so, healthcare has always been about trust building. What's interesting and different today is now we have all these new tools that people and consumers, everyone has to go figure out. They go try ChatGPT for something and it gives them the wrong advice and then maybe they throw it away and they might not pick it up again for months, despite the fact that you know the next model came out and it's far better actually than it was before. And so there's this really interesting balance of companies now thinking about when do they implement these AI tools and how not to lose the, the trust with consumers that, that has been built up for so long. What's a little bit scary is we typically right have you know the FDA and the ONC here to to regulate and help consumers navigate through what is safe and not safe you know where where should people place their trust when dealing with their own health you know which is one if not the the most important thing to think about and right now that's a little bit of the wild west in terms of those regulatory bodies figuring out what they should regulate what they shouldn't regulate and we're seeing tools come on the market I won't call it out by name but there's a Companies are now trying to give out medical advice online using these new tools and consumers are choosing to trust them and, and use them because it gives them a faster answer and they don't have access to, to a doctor or, or it's cheaper. And so there's a really interesting shift that's happening of consumers deciding to lean in and use these tools despite the fact that they don't have the typical regulation around them because they're cheaper and easy to use. And if medicine doesn't catch up fast enough, I actually do think consumers will, will go around the regulation and start accessing these tools anyway. So we're at a, a really interesting time there. Yeah, you know what? I can think back to conversations that were happening, say, eight to 10 years ago about medical professionals, some of whom were really leaning in when online content was a pretty new thing. 
I'm talking audio content, videos, articles. Google had really hit its prime. So organic content in search engines was a way to drive people to certain places to cause behaviors and certain actions to happen. And that's where a lot of energy was spent. But then it was still slow to be adopted by a lot of medical professionals. And I will say, rightly so. There was this famous meme that it was going around all the time of a coffee mug that says, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. And again, there's a lot of value to that. At the same time, there were those who figured it out really early on. There were doctors who said, you know, if I just make a few videos and I share some of the content that I share with patients every day and I put that out online, that can actually scale good information. There was another saying I'd hear around that same time that was something like, how much can you complain about misinformation online if you're not putting out good information? So it was kind of a call to action to put out good content online. So I recognize there's a lot of balance there, and it doesn't mean that it makes sense for everyone to be publishing content. But I remember those discussions happening, and I feel like we're at this similar inflection point right now where we could be accelerating these conversations and bringing up some of the same points legitimately of if consumers are just going to naturally trust some new source because it's a more expeditious way to get an answer, well, then we have to accept that reality and maybe even lean in. And that's going to affect just how a lot of information gets in front of people who are trying to make health choices. I think it's just fascinating to see where things could go from here. It's exactly right. And, uh, you know, you brought up, I, I love that, that mug. And the, the other mug we see is, you know, don't, don't confuse your Google search with my up-to-date search, right? You know, doctors don't know things all the time and are always looking up information, you know, sometimes during patient visits, in which cases I've certainly seen before. This is just a changing of this previous problem. I think what's changed now is it's just the access to the information has improved by 10x, if not 100x, in terms of both consumers and you know, clinicians searching for those informations. And so that gap between them has shrunk. That access to knowledge or knowledge in context has changed. To give you some, some data, obviously it's a, it's a very specific sample, but you know, students from, from class almost 80% of them were comfortable getting medical advice through AI before speaking to a clinician. And granted, you know, this is people in Silicon Valley. Some of the students were clinicians themselves, so that was part of their answer. They thought it was, said it was a brainstorming tool. They wanted to be better informed about the type of questions they wanted to ask before they visited their doctor. You know, it was for convenience as a complementary resource. So people weren't talking about replacing their doctor using these AI tools, but people... You know, still wanted to get that advice first. I think we really are going to have to embrace it as medicine because in some sense we, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Even despite people are talking about regulation, open AI, these big companies, you know, can we put it away? Facebook just a couple weeks ago now released Llama, a open source model that people can can download and use on their own. And so we're never going back to a scenario where, where these tools you know, aren't available and aren't being used. And so we really have to embrace it as medicine to, to work with our patients and build trust with them. So we, we need to navigate this change and it's going to be a bumpy time, but uh, I'm hopeful it'll make things better. Likewise here, are there other ways that you've come across or that can think of that generative AI can impact consumers and patients in their healthcare journeys? So many ways. And I'll, I'll preface, you know, this is not medical advice. I'm not advocating to do this, but you know, just maybe outlining a few different ways that I've seen patients, students in my class, you know, ha have used myself to, to think about these tools. So, you know, one is the, you know, most obvious spot where everyone says, well, hey, can the AI diagnose me? If I put in my symptoms, what are the list of conditions I get back? So that's the easy one. But there 
are a bunch of other use cases too that are people are finding really useful. You know, when people now get their labs or imaging back, you know, they get maybe they have access to their notes now and they get this cryptic report and medical wording that's really hard to understand. People are putting that their own information into one of these tools to summarize and say, hey, can you explain this to me maybe in my own native language? Maybe just in a way that's more simple to understand. How about in a way that I can explain to my five-year-old so that I can talk to them about what's happening? And so there's this translation, both literal in language as well as just in explaining the medical terminology in a more understandable way that patients are, are finding really powerful to use today. And again, they're, they're not perfect, but neither are the other tools available. Not everyone can get a physician on the phone. They get their labs back. So how can people use these tools to learn more about their own conditions, about their own labs, about reports that are coming back has been really powerful. I would say the, the last thing is just people, people are even able to use these tools to help you know, transcribe visits and take notes. Right? I think this is incredibly powerful. And you know, depending on what state you're in, there's different laws around you know, re- recording a conversation. But one of the things that happens so much is you know, there's so much going on in a visit and people forget. People forget what's set. And so some patients are you know, just recording the visit, which now from audio to text, this is now possible. It works. It's probably better than any of us could do if we were trying to type perfectly everything that was happening. And so now people have this transcription, what their medical visit was. And you know, some of these AI tools can even summarize the key points and things you should do next. And so there are really so many ways where, where these tools are really going to start to change just how consumers interact with medicine whether or not their physicians are are using these tools. Thanks for sharing that. I love thinking about where all this can get us, right? There's so much good work being done. There's so much innovation happening. And when I try to translate that for an everyday person, for a family member or someone who's not in the industry, and I try to help them understand why I'm excited about what's happening in healthcare, I always like to say, do you realize where these things can take us? I like to think about the destination. What do you think about that? What types of progress do you hope that we're celebrating in healthcare three years from now? This is a fun one. I hope, I'll start with that. I hope three years from now, we've made fundamental changes in democratizing access to medical information. It's both, you know, in the US and around the world, you know, medical information has been so gated in the hands of the few. And I hope in the next three years, we've figured out ways where as safely as we can, we've democratized access to medical information where we're able to level the playing field so that people can understand, learn more about their conditions, things that might be happening in a way that was never previously possible before because we've been you know, gated by the, the amount of providers we have. That's the big hope uh, of where we're going on the patient care side. On the provider side, in the next three years, I'll make a prediction on this, I'll say 70% of providers in the U.S. will be using an automated tool to help them understand what's happening in a visit and help them with their notes. This technology is available today, and it's really not only even one one company in many companies. And hopefully these tools really reduce provider burnout and let people focus on delivering care and spending time with patients or thinking about that care rather than this administrative burden. And there will be significant shifts 
across the board in the next in the next three years. Outstanding. Well, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on this because I would love for that to be right. I see so many benefits and so much value to be had here. It's great to think about this, I feel like. And with that, that's a perfect place for us to wrap up. Justin, for our listeners who would like to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn, the best place to find me where I'll, I'll post learnings from class, topics in general and, and, and medicine, and, and occasionally write things when I, when I get the chance. Well, thanks again. And with that, that is a wrap for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Justin Norton. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jared. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. Thank you.